0: Hey guys, just dropping a bonus weekend podcast onto the feed this weekend. We wanted to share the audio from our live stream chat with Paul Cook and Danny Cowley. NTT 20 questions was the theme of the night. Questions that you guys sent in on Twitter and a couple on the live stream itself We hope that you get a lot from this. I was so chuffed with how open and honestly these guys spoke about their experiences and their thoughts on a lot of different parts of the game. So hopefully you'll enjoy this. Just be aware that because this was a live stream, four of us and we could see each other as well. It might sound a little different to a podcast interview, but hopefully you'll still get plenty of joy from it. We loved doing it. And we can't wait to do more similar episodes and live streams in the future. But for now, enjoy listening to this hour in conversation with Paul Cook and Danny Cowley. You can watch this back on YouTube if you'd like to see us as well. It was a hugely entertaining hour. We absolutely loved it and hopefully you will too.
1: Cannot thank our two guests enough, Paul Cook and Danny Cowley. It's, it's scandalous that they're both currently out of work managers given what they've done In the game, of course, Danny taking Lincoln out of non-league and through up into League One and then a a good first championship campaign with Huddersfield and Paul Cook. I mean, Paul, you managed a fair few, but most recently Wigan, of course, and Portsmouth and fair to say what happened at Wigan last season should, you know, unfair on any boss. So brilliant to have you both here. And, you know, I say you're both out of work manager at the moment. Danny, you've been doing a bit of coaching this afternoon.
2: Yeah, this evening I've been coaching um, Lincoln United under-12s play, so they've all some adult plays. Yeah, been freezing this evening, so I'm um, pleased to be back in the warm, but now I enjoy doing that.
1: That'll set. The rumour mills absolutely flying. Danny Cowley taking charge of the under-12s ladies team at Lincoln. Paul, any youth team coaching for you at the moment?
3: I'd, I'd take any coaching me. I might be down there next to Danny next week on that sideline, seeing if I can get involved in his sessions. It's... Uh... It's a tough industry we're in, and gaining jobs now is very, very tough for all managers. So I've actually been out watching my son train tonight. Connor he's 15. Um, but I must admit I sat in my car and watched through the front windscreen if it'd be truthful. Brilliant, yeah, T- too cold to be outside, I reckon. I mean, what's it like at
1: the moment? Because you know, it's a funny season anyway, and you both came into the campaign. I guess hoping you'd be in a job fairly soon. It's now December. A few jobs have been and gone. Are you guys feeling optimistic about the, the prospects going forward?
2: Yeah, I think we've we've enjoyed enjoyed the time that, that we've had. It's probably the first time in my life that that, that my life's actually stood still. It's been twenty four seven. Prior to that, so so I think we've we've enjoyed some family time. Certainly enjoyed an opportunity to to reflect on on the way we work and and how we work and try to find ways of, of doing things better. So we spent a lot of time between Nikki and I. We had, Nikki and I believe, it or not live next door to each other. So um, we've got a bit, bit of a Shocked. unique relationship. Yeah, so so now we've spent a lot of time just just looking at our game model, looking at our coaching curriculum, and just looking at ways to to hopefully um, be able to, to 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 deliver that better. And obviously, when you do get the opportunity, you want to be prepared and, and hopefully be in a place where you can hit the ground running.
1: Paul, it must be inter- like very difficult for you because the circumstances that mean that you are currently not managing a football team uh, were off-field issues that you couldn't have foreseen at Wigan and the job you were doing at Wigan was so special and so impressive so it must be difficult for you to currently be sitting on the sidelines.
3: Yeah yeah I think so I think uh, you know as Danny will probably agree with I think when you when you've listened to other managers and they're out to work and you listen to other people who go through the experiences of what both Danny and myself are going through you, you actually go through a lot of mixed emotions at times if the two been on, and you know within it you know within it the, the under, underlying feeling I have or I try to have is to just try and be as positive as I can be. I think because the reality after the initial period with your family and stuff like that, you know, as Danny is, and Nicky, I know them guys quite well, you know, we're we're fiercely competitive people, you know, and and we've got that missing in our lives at the minute, even the bad, the bad days, even the days when you get beat, you know, I remember we had a drink after we threw one, one with others feel this year. Danny and Nicky after the game. And once the game ends, it's a different period in your in your week. It's a chance to let all the emotions go from the week and then slowly build up to the next one. So, you know, the emotions that I've had since Wigan now it's been coming up for five months, I think it is, it's been everyone, it's been anger. it's been a tinge of sadness, it's it's been everything, it's the wanting to get back into football as quickly as possible. But again, as you know, and I'm sure Danny will be agreeing, and we'll be agreeing with each other on a lot of things tonight, I suppose you do need to go in at the right club now, if that's possible. You know, Danny's had a fantastic experience at Lincoln. I know that I'm not so sure about his field. He can speak about that, obviously. You know, from my time and my experiences at clubs, you know, when you're in the right club, you know that as a manager, you know, and now whether opportunities come quickly or not so quickly, you know, I think both of us will be looking at them to say, is this the club we want to take forward? Not necessarily is the first job that comes along the job that you take.
0: Paul, I'm hoping that you'll agree on some things, but it'd be great to get some things where you don't necessarily have the same viewpoint, don't have the the same opinion. We'll we'll find out over the course of the hour. Now, you mentioned having a drink after your game, the one-all draw uh, earlier this year, and what I'd really like to know, just to warm us up a little bit before we get into the the really serious stuff, into the nuts and bolts, is um, I I think there are famous cup runs. certainly cut results in both of your careers. Uh, And also, if you Google, put it this way, Danny Cowley, Arsene Wenger, you'll see a lovely picture of Danny Cowley and Arsene Wenger shaking hands, almost a hug, if I'm honest. Uh, A lot of mutual respect there. If you Google Paul Cook, Pep Guardiola, what you'll Uh see is, (laughs) um, (laughs) I think it's fair to say um, uh, a fairly, a large disagreement between the two of you. Um, it's it's certainly not what defines you, but it's an amazing image, and I know that it's one that actually deep down you kind of cherish. So, um, did you have a drink with Pep Guardiola after the game, or is he not really into that? A
3: hundred percent. We never had a drink after the game. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it was quite if I be truthful, you know, I, I think for all managers, I think the only thing you can put it down to sometimes. I do believe, you know, the uh, the foreign managers have a different perspective on post-match than the English managers. And in respect of normally what the managers are brought up with is whatever goes on during the game, you park there at the end of the game, you go in and you have a drink, and you'll always get managers having different... Uh, you know, I've got one or two managers I don't particularly like, not so much get on with, I just don't like them. I'm sure... Hopefully one of them's got too. Danny. <laughs> no, it's there, <this>. Nicky, <laughs> I don't like one them. <laughs> I've only guys. By the way. No, no. I, and sometimes you know yourself if you've just lost, for example, or you know the last thing you want to do is is do that. But that was very much an English mentality, you know. So now the diff, the disappointing thing for us, you know, uh, especially after a win like that, you know, it would have been fantastic to enjoy some time. And obviously, such an esteemed manager's company, you know, that unfortunately wasn't to be. You know and I don't think that's I don't think that's particularly anybody's fault.
1: Danny did, did you have a glass of red with Arsene?
2: We we had a good time with Arsene after the game yet he was unbelievable to be fair The Arsenal football club as a whole which is brilliant um and, it, and they really added to, to our experience and to be fair to Arsene Wenger they'd had a difficult time cause they'd lost they'd just lost 5-0 to Bayern Munich in midweek and we we went there he was at a time Arsene was getting some real criticism from the media but yet He'd still, go maybe an hour after the game, and I remember me and Nikki went in there, and we just had like I was like Chris Tallent, just question after question after question. <laughs> he, I remember at one stage he got these yogurt pots out and I thought, oh wow, well, he's gonna he's gonna tell me football now. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna tell tell me t- tell me all of these secrets. And he got these he got these yogurts out and he just started to eat them, and I thought, oh, I thought, well, <laughs> <laughs> all out, just some words of wisdom. But I remember me. and oh, I love Nicky, it. We had, mate, well over an hour with him, and um, I remember after we hadn't thought about anything other than the game and then going to see Arsene Wenger. And I come out after, and the coach had already gone home. So me and Nicky ended up we just played at the Emirates in front of sixty-two thousand people, and we ended up just walking to the to the station and getting a. We were getting a train back to the hotel, but um, but yeah, that's how that, that experience ended. But he was. He was so good with us, brilliant. And we spoke about it was really interesting. Actually, spoke about team selection and when he when he selects his team. We spoke about the training weeks and what his week looked like. And it's amazing that like, you are living at different ends of the. I mean, we were a non-league team at the time. He was a top Premier League manager, and yeah, so many so many so many things that we experienced during the week were so similar. So it was um it was great. And the one thing that really stood out for me with Arsene Wenger was his love for the game. It, like I said, it had a real difficult week, but you could, his passion and love for the game was, 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 was incredible.
1: Pity for Lou with Arsene Wenger. That's a content idea if not the top 20 in the future. I reckon we're 10 minutes in and we haven't even got to your questions yet. We've had loads of questions sent in from people. Also, if you're watching live and you want to ping in a question, do send it through Um, kind of on the topic, going back to, to the fact that you guys are currently, you know, not in a job. Ollie asks, How do you go about things when you're out of the game? Do you study individual teams? Do you keep track of teams tactically? Do you keep an individual log of players? Danny, you and I spoke about this the other day at Quest, so I'll come to you first. I know that you and your brother have uh, certainly, you know, you don't drop the ball when it comes to staying on top of all things EFL, do you?
2: No, I think for us it's just to try to get a routine. Obviously, it's the first time I've ever been out of work since I, I left university and obviously spent 15 years as a teacher and managed managed parts or well played part-time and then managed part-time and then went into full-time football management so so yeah just for me to get up have a routine to my day is really important and yeah we've spent some time going through our sort of trying to get our coaching curriculum and and relate it to our game model and we have we have hundreds of drills that we're trying to animate and get to a place which just hopefully will help with our delivery and um, when, when, when we get back into work. But, but also spending some time looking at looking at players and spending a lot of time in that sort of 18 to 20, 21 category. Obviously, you look at the salary caps which have already come in at League 1 and League 2. Mm-hmm. It looks like the salary cap is going to come in at the Championship as well. The 18 to 21 range, age range does, doesn't come within that category. So you straight away know that that's, a, that's an age range where where you need to make sure that you're on top of and you you know where the best young players are and where they're coming from and um so spent some good time doing that and yeah just studying football really we're, we're, we're in the process of, of of doing our pro license which is something that we we're, we're, we're really enjoying and that's a great opportunity again to to meet people that are in sort of similar positions to what what paul and i are in and you know we we love football we you know, we're students of the game, we love the game. So we yeah just keep trying to keep trying to add and keep trying to develop and evolve.
3: Paul, is it a similar oh. story for you? Oh, yeah, 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 just uh, absolutely spot on. I think it's no different sometimes than like when, when you talk to young players, you know, and young lads nowadays. And, you know, Danny's obviously done really, really well with developing his teams you know, individually and then collectively. You know, and one of my favourite things that I say to players you know, as, as lads, if you don't make the training ground your, your best place to be and you work out at, at your game and you touch a ball and you practice and you, you're in the gym and you give football your life, but when you come out of coaching and managing, it's the same. Like, if we're going, if me and Danny are, like, having a week off and another week off and another week off, and you don't actually love football as much as you think you do. Right.
1: You know, we
3: actually, you know, you've got to spend your week whatever normally it is football-related, You know, there's that much football on the telly, especially with lockdown, it's been fantastic because you can actually watch a lot of football at all different levels, which is great. You know, the actual, as Danny's touched on there, the pro licenses and stuff like that, they're so educational because no matter what you think, and people, we all sit in rooms together, none of us know everything about football. None of us do. There's no magic, there's no science that, you go if you do this tomorrow, everything in the world will be right. Now one of the biggest aspects I find about football is actually managing footballers. If you can manage them, because actually people, and what I've found, the higher up you seem to climb, sometimes the people just aren't quite as nice as they were when you come from a little bit lower. They're a lot more humble at lower levels, they're a lot more wanting to learn. They look at you and actually listen to you and pay attention. And sometimes, you know, so Tanny's had his own experience, you get one or two that who actually look at you and think to yourself. What are you asking me to do? I'm asking you to be a professional footballer. I'm asking you to give me your life. I'm asking you you to train hard. I'm asking you to join a team and have a work ethic for your team. You know, nowadays we all speak the famous one in football, in possession and out of possession. Well, I know when I played, I loved playing when we had the ball. I wasn't particularly good when we didn't. And 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 it's educational. You You know, you've got to make sure, even from my point of view, no different than Danny's, we just love. You, 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 we love football, don't we? So it doesn't matter who we're watching or where we're going. Danny's been out coaching the girls tonight. What a fantastic thing that is! He don't do that to be clever or to get publicity. He's been doing that since forever. You know, near things because you know if you didn't love doing that, you'd be sitting in the house cozy with your Sky Telly, on watching the thing. You know, so basically, hoping, keeping as fresh as we can, you know, to hopefully get back in as soon as we can.
0: The one big blind spot, I mean, not the only one, but probably the biggest blind spot for Mm. people like George and I and others who either haven't played the game or, as there are many of them, uh, former pundits who talk about the game in the media, but who aren't involved within clubs, who aren't looking people in the whites of the eyes, is, is that human aspect. And, you know, we think we put a lot of work into our research and a lot of work into our analysis to try and make up for the fact that we haven't had a playing career and we haven't done our badges and we we try our best but it's that human element that you can never truly know from outside and that's why it's so so interesting to talk to you guys because you know certainly from from a fan's perspective as well you can just never truly know there's always rumors about characters good good characters bad apples etc and yet you know, you still see the team sheet coming out on a Saturday and there's always, why isn't X in the team? Why is X in the team? And you just think to yourself, well, there's been six days since the last game where these people have been in training within a club, working together, communicating well or not, as the case may be. And that's got to have a big impact on, on things like team selection. And that's the sort of thing that we miss so much. Just on um, your current situations, uh, or your current situation for, for both of you, there's a lot of interest uh, for, for me and George, and I know a lot of the listeners as well, about applying for jobs and job interviews, because uh, things like Football Manager, the game, have made us think that, and I think it's quite prevalent in the media as well, that you submit an application or you express your interest in a job um, so, you know, through an email or something, attach your CV. Uh, and then maybe you get invited to a round of interviews. And I just wonder from your experiences, either now or previously, whether that's really the case. Or or maybe, Paul, you could start as someone who's had a slightly longer career, um, ha- how it tends to work. Or is there no one way that it does work uh, in, in terms of applying for jobs or, dare I say, it, getting jobs when you're out of work?
3: This was going really well till you started asking these type of questions to me and Danny. <laughs> <laughs> All so much now. We gave you 15
0: is- minutes. We gave you 15 minutes of the softball. We made it easy for you for the first 10, but now we're pressing. We're pressing high.
1: But, uh, there's a walk down memory lane for the last 10, so you can look forward to that.
3: <laughs> a lovely 15 minutes there. Nice cup of tea off the sun. Uh, listen, you know, what things with football that we can't stop? You can't stop football progressive. And football's moving forward at a rate of knots now. And and sometimes in the modern-day game, it's moving at a rate of knots. That's not just necessarily concurrent for a football manager. You know, now in the modern-day game, we're talking about head coaches, you know, and all of a sudden then there's a sporting director, you know. So the, the actual dynamics of football is changing as football's evolving. You know, I must admit, guys, I'm very much into the fact of, I believe that clubs should come looking for you. That's my honest opinion. I don't really think it's great for managers to apply for jobs. Albeit now we all understand, and Daniel will probably be the same, we all understand the rules of what goes on in and around football clubs. You know, I'm not necessarily a great believer in that and I don't think it's correct. I know from my time that I can only speak about the clubs that I've been at, at Chesterfield, at Portsmouth and at Wigan, I haven't applied for the jobs. You know, and going forward, you know, I'm not saying I won't be applying for jobs because in the modern day game, I'm sure that if you if you don't apply for the job, you mightn't get looked at because people think you don't want it. But I think you know your CV. I think what you've done in the game. I think that people should come and ask to speak to you and have a general chat about the job rather than you've applied and you go for it. So that's just a little brief sort of thing of where I'd be with it all.
0: And and Danny, I guess. You know, because every manager uh, has had a different pathway in the game, and you guys have come into the game it, in a slightly different route and at slightly different times as well. What have your been uh, experiences been like over? I mean, we're really only talking the last five years because of the, the the job that you did with Concord Rangers, with Braintree, and then with Lincoln, really sort of catapulting you into the conversation uh, when it surrounds managers in the EFL and, and at the top of the game.
2: Yeah, I think. Uh... Obviously, I've managed now for 13 years, but like you alluded to, the first maybe nine, 10 years went, went pretty unnoticed, which was nice because it gave me a really good opportunity to kind of get experience, to find my skills and, and find my way of working. Pretty much like like Paul, I think you do a good job and as a consequence of your team doing well, you then start to get um, recognised and your profile raises as a consequence of that. And then... then then you start to get start phone calls. Um, we're we're obviously at a stage now where we're out of work, and this is the first time that we've been out of work. Um, I think when you when you go to interview, I think you've got a responsibility um, to the club that you're going to to have done the background work. So in terms of you know we always you know when we, we go to a, an interview, we'd we'd have a presentation which um, would would have we'd have watched the team at least ten times. I think you've got to have a really good understanding of what you're going into one you've got to protect yourself and you've got to make sure that you know what you're going into um and two, you are into the club as well that, that, that you're going into to, to know that you've got an awareness of where they're at then you kind of through the interview process gain an understanding of where they want to go and their vision and then you start to work out whether you feel that you can you can um achieve the objectives that that, that they're setting and um i think you know through the interview process the the aim is always to 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 explain your way of working how you work um also to explain how you want to play and what the game model is um let's be honest for all of us managers it's pretty much same. you want to identify players you've then got to recruit players you then got to develop players and if you can do those three things well then then normally you find that your teams have success but um you know, what, what's really important, I think Paul's already alluded to it, is that you've got to be a good fit and and, and it works both ways. You know, human relationships always took two ways and um certainly where we've enjoyed success, we've always gone to clubs where where we've been a good fit for each other and, and certainly at Concord Rangers, we had eight years there, we grew together and, and probably the same at, at Lincoln as well, which which you know was 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 brilliant and we had some 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 real mm-hmm times doing so. But but certainly in that initial process, to, to have as much detail as you can about the club that you're going into um, is really important because they're big decisions. They're big decisions for your life and for your family's life, but they're also big decisions for the football club. So to do the necessary due diligence, I think, is 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 crucial for, for everybody involved.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that, Danny, because a couple of years ago, when we interviewed Michael Appleton, who, of course, succeeded you at Lincoln... I said to him then, you know, he'd just left Leicester, and I said, you know, where are you looking to manage? And he said, you know, I, I don't really care what level the club is, whether it's a Championship club or a League Two club. All I really care about is is the owner and it being a club where I can progress and where I'll be supported. Which I guess is exactly what you're saying in terms of, you know, the, the club has to be the right fit. More importantly than anything else.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It's always the the, the people that you're working for, and, and Michael Appleton picked a brilliant club in Lincoln because. You know he, he's he's done a fantastic job there, um, but he's very well supported by a by a really intelligent board and a, and a fantastic fan base, and it's no surprise to me that they've gone from from strength to strength. And we are, we're still living in Lincoln, and my kids are Lincoln City supporters, so we're um, we're hoping that they they stay at the right end of the table for the for, for the rest of the season.
0: I mentioned to to pick up on that line about uh, you know picking the owner. You hear it quite a lot. Um, and it makes complete sense in any job, whether it's in football or not. You would want to work with people, and specifically, I suppose, for people or under people who are your bosses, who you think are fair and who you think are, are giving you the the best chance to succeed. But in a footballing sense, we know that that is. I mean, it's just such a crazy industry when it comes to this, and you can't, you just can't guarantee that, can you? Um, I wonder. I'm sure everyone watching pretty much understands what happened and knows what happens at Wigan to you last season essentially completely out of the blue Um, how much has that made you change the way you might look uh, for your next job in this exact sense in terms of you know essentially doing your own like due diligence on an owner that you'd be working for
3: you've got you've got to be careful that you don't come across or you know from your perspective I'm not trying to sound, sound arrogant or you know a lot of these jobs you know I'm sure you know I was managing in Ireland a period of time ago. You know, when Danny was managing Concord Rangers, I'm sure we'd go home after the games then. And our biggest thing was to be the best manager you can be. But be the best person you can be as along the way as well. Within that, you know, you want to go to the highest you can be. You know, I, I'd love to think one day I could manage in the Premier League. I'm sure Danny, along with Nicky, would think the same. You know, so you're not going to be in a position where, you, let's say, for example, we're talking about uh, Watford, Watford, the top Bournemouth with the top knowledge, top. We're not going to manage them tomorrow. If they come along, you jump on that shit. Of course you would. So we're not in a position where we say, well, you're going to, you're going to look at every club, because one of the problems for managers now, in general, if you take an example of a club, I don't know, if we talk about what a random club in the in the in the league, if we said Portsmouth for example, if something happened to Portsmouth you can guarantee there'd be 100 managers looking for that job. a 100 at least. So the reality is we're not really in a position to probably be able to say, to pick and choose. Albeit, you'll find that the success you've had has been coming around when you've had them strong relationships. Now, if you can get them strong relationships at your next club, then the reality is it could lead that you'll be happy and hopefully successful. But if you look at some of the clubs around now, and especially in the Championship, you look at some of the managerial sackings they've had, and they're not all bad managers, are they? That's for sure. But you'll never hear a club say we're a bad football club. But I actually think some of them are that badly run that the managers just carried the brunt of the, the pain. You know, they just sack the manager. It's amazing football because a club will just sack one person. And you look at some of the top Championship clubs, they employ 200 people. But we now have mm-hmm. recruitment room. We now have, we have a million people in the club, but the manager gets sacked. And I'd love to see one yep. day a Sport Director get sacked, mate. I'd love to see a chief exec get sacked now and again. I'd genuinely love to see someone where they go, hang on a minute. This fellow, the manager, we just go out there and normally it's about quarter past five on a Saturday, and we just carry everything for everyone at the club. And I think to myself, sometimes I'd love to throw a few people under the bus now and again. <laughs> <I would. laughs> By the way, lad, I'm not at that stage yet, but another couple of months out of work, and I will be. <laughs> and I find sometimes maybe, you know, and I can't speak for Danny and Nicky, I've always enjoyed having a lot of authority at, at my clubs as I've grew. I've always enjoyed that because I like my future to be in my hands. I like the decision on my future and my immediate staff, by the way. I've got a lot of immediate staff that I've worked with for a few years. I like my future to be in our hands. I like if we're going to get make mistakes that we'll make the mistakes. I don't like it to be with recruitment departments and sporting directors and somebody else who has an opinion on the team. Because normally they pick these people's opinions grow on a Saturday at about five o'clock when you've just lost the game. And like I always say, it'd be great for you to come in attentively and tell me that, because I'll change the team.
0: I don't know whether I'm speaking out of turn here, but what's interesting to me here uh, for you, Danny, is that a lot of young managers uh, or newer managers in the EFL, they sometimes get pigeonholed into a a certain type of manager who's uh, progressive and modern and all those words that you use. And quite often there's an assumption that they are happy to work in this progressive and modern structure um, with a sporting director, for example, where maybe you don't have um, control of, of recruitment uh, and, and perhaps maybe much less authority than um, what we would call a manager would have had, certainly in the old English sense of, of the term. And that there have been murmurs that um, for yourselves, for yourselves uh, being yourself, Danny, Danny and your brother, Nicky, that actually you are quite keen to have um, sort of a fair amount of, of of authority if you are to be at the helm of a football club. So I'm really interested in your thoughts on this, you know, especially. It's essentially the head coach versus manager debate because I think now we know what it means when someone is appointed head coach and maybe what they won't be doing quite pointedly, and what it means when a, someone is appointed manager. And it feels like maybe they have a, a little bit more of the run of the place.
2: Yeah, I think I think there's a perception, isn't there, that I don't want to work with a director of football or a sporting director which is actually untrue i'm happy to work with a head of football director of football sporting director call them what you want as long as they're good and um i've experienced some good ones and some not so good ones but certainly when i was at lincoln um we actually appointed it was actually my appointment to, to bring in jez george from from cambridge um and he's been unbelievable at, at um at Lincoln and, and obviously Michael Appleton and rightly so will be taking a lot of the credit, but some of the work Jez has done behind the scenes in terms of recruitment, um, the work he's done with the academy has been brilliant. And what we'd work, what we'd realised at Lincoln is that we when when you're a football manager, you end up becoming very operational because you know you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, a 46 game season and of course you're interested in the strategy of the club and you want to drive the strategy of the club forward, but sometimes you're so scared of taking your eye off the ball and, and and looking at the strategy that 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 you need support around you to do that. And what you need to try to do, you need you need to try as a manager, you need a sporting director that's aligned with you and, and, and thinks the way that you do. And the best clubs, let's be honest, have a clear vision. They have a clear vision of where they're going. They've got clear understanding of where they're at, they've got a clear vision of where they're going. They have a, a strategy that is gonna and stepping stones that is gonna allow them to get to where they want to go. And then all they then need to do, once they've got that real clarity, is appoint a manager that fits into that to that way of working. And then when you get that, then you get success. But unfortunately, we find a lot of clubs that are chasing the outcome and forget about the process. And this can you know, you you particularly see it in the championship i think everybody is chasing the premier league dream and they get so outcome oriented that they forget about the actual the, the actual process and what you need to do you need to try to get a clear process then you need to find the people i.e. the co- head coach or the manager whatever the title is that can deliver that 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 project and, and when you get that alignment then 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 you normally see success but unfortunately you don't always get that joined up thinking and that's when it when it becomes a problem because like Paul alluded to earlier, you know, in football as a manager, you know, you're making decisions in the here and now, there's a lot of people around you that have hindsight on their side and listen, if I, if I had hindsight on my side, I'd like to think I could rule the world
3: but, um, but unfortunately, <laughs> we don't have and we have to live in the here and now. You know, I think Danny just touched on it absolutely fantastically well there. The relationship between head coach and sport director has to be the strongest relationship at the football club. And what you find sometimes, it's when two people are not aligned with each other and come together. It can't work. It just can't mm-hmm. work. Now, in the modern game, a manager, Stoke head coach, he needs all aspects of the club support for the benefit of the football club. So the actual, uh, the principal of the sporting director, of the uh, head coach, manager, whatever you want to call it, it, will work and it'll work fantastically well because championship clubs are big clubs going into the Premier League. The massive, massive, you know, massive operations, are with recruitment, but then relationships have got to be absolutely strong. So tight, it's on two. if you're really looking at it, a manager used to have that relationship with his chairman, if you understand where I'm going, that was that relationship. Yeah, yeah. Now all of a sudden, in the modern day game, it has to be between head coach and sporting and director. And if they're not aligned on philosophy and strategy and style of play, you know, and a lot's made of stuff like that, the brutal truth of it, people just want to win football matches. If you win football matches, everybody will be aligned.
1: You talk about winning football matches, and we've spoken here... In kind of depth we could probably speak for hours about the way the football club should be run but at the end of the day your main job as manager or head coach or whatever it is is to coach the football team and put them out and win games of football and we've been sent a couple of questions from guys here Andy and Jay um, which kind of are more about your footballing philosophies rather than the kind of way that you think football clubs should be run and the general strategy, but still the process itself. And it's something that you know, Ali and I have obviously interviewed a fair few managers now and finding out the process behind what drives managers is, is always really interesting. So Andy asks, uh, what weighting do you each give to preparing your teams for your opponent in the lead up to the match? And does it differ match by match? And Jay Sosik, who is also a Lincoln resident, Danny, and also works in football and is a pretty sharp cookie. He asks, how do you balance the ability to implement a style of play on your team whilst ensuring that it gets consistent results? So I guess the questions are kind of both asking, how much do you focus on your own philosophy and what you want to do on the pitch? And how much do you have to be steered by by other factors?
2: Well, I think... You, you have to have a clear way of playing. So you have to have a game model that, that that you believe in and that you work to, and principles that you you live and die by. And you know, for us, we like I like transitional football. I like fast attacking football. Um, you know, I like the players to to think forward, run forward, play forward. Um, and you know, we like against the ball. We like we, we 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 like high intensity and high and high pressure football. We want to win the ball back as early as we can. I think. When you take a job, the first thing you have to realise you're in a race. And you know, there's been times in my career where I've had the Ferrari in the race, and you know, at Lincoln in <laughs> the National League, we we were the Ferrari in the race. We we could each week we could run our game model, and we had too much too much power, too much um, too, too much quality for, for the, for the opponents. So we didn't really have to adapt to anyone at that level. There's been other times in my career where I don't want to say I was a Skoda, but I, I definitely wasn't a Ferrari. And then you you, you have to adapt accordingly, don't you? And I think you don't want to you, you never come away from your principles, but but there are some times where you you know you might have to you, you might have to collapse your pressing and introduce a confrontation line and and, and press from slightly deeper. Um, there are other times where you have to you you have to you have to make small tweaks because you're playing against an opponent that has that has better players than you. That with better players, with better toolboxes. So um, there is always a time to, to be pragmatic. There's, there's many ways, isn't there? You know, I, I find it really interesting. at The moment you look at Mourinho, probably the most pragmatic coach that there is, will literally find the best way of playing for the players that he is available. He has an unbelievable ability to look. Look what he's done throughout his career. He, he picks the, the best players in his team and he finds the best way of playing for those players. You know, you go back, Lampard and Drogba, his Chelsea team, found the best way of playing for those players. Now at Tottenham, he's finding the best way of playing for Harry Kane and, Son and um and, and he's a master at doing that. And at the moment, it, it is working for him. Then you get the other type of manager, the, the Marcelo Bielsa, who has a really strong game model and won't change for anyone. And, and you know, look at the success that he that that, that has brought him. So, there's no right or wrong way. Um, I really enjoy seeing, seeing people coach and manage in different ways for us. We have a clear way that we want to play again, like at Huddersfield, for example, we took over the team in mid September. It's hard to implement your style. You can't go from one thing to the other in without time on the grass. It takes time. And when you're in a championship season and the games are coming thick and fast, you have to, you have to layer it and work towards it gradually. And certainly you, you have to you have to also be aware of the players that you have at your disposal and because let's be honest, as coaches, our responsibility is, is to try to find a way of playing that sets the players up to have success. Um, so it doesn't matter what my ideals are, it don't matter what I like. and um, you know, it yeah, absolutely that's what we would like to get to eventually. But we all know in football you've got to firstly win win some football matches to give yourself the time to make <laughs> To your ideal and the way you would like to play
0: eventually, and um,
2: yeah, this is always the always the challenge for the for the manager.
0: Paul, uh, when I think of a Paul Cook side, and there have been some smashing Paul Cook sides over the years with Chesterfield, Pompey, and Wigan. I personally think of. Uh, attacking wingers, playing fairly high up the pitch. And I think of a number 10 as well. And, you know, you've had some star men over the years at, at all levels playing in in what I would think is is kind of a number 10 role. Even back thinking of Jay O'Shea at, at Chesterfield and Gary Roberts as well, who you've worked uh, with so much, not just a number 10. He can obviously play in a number of different positions. But uh, do you, is is that is it fair to say that, attacking wingers and number 10, are these Paul Cook sort of non-negotiables or, um, or would you not say that?
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, listen, I think Danny summarised absolutely perfectly there. I think mean, You know, you'd have a style of play. Don't you remember? <clears throat> Quite a little story we were, uh, we were playing. We were playing for someone for Chesterfield. And anyway, a good friend of mine, Tony Ellis, was working for Rochdale at the time. And um, he was coming to watch the game. So he'd he me on the way. So we got him in for a cup of tea before the game. And obviously, we, Brochdale at the time, were trying to be promoted with us. So he's sitting in our little office and he's, I can see him looking up at the boards, you know, with our team up there. And, and I said, Tony, why don't you just ask me our team? We're playing for? Danny will tell you four, two, three, one. <laughs> the both fullbacks are gone. You don't even have to watch us tonight. You don't have to do any balls. We just won't take it to Keith and tell him. And, and, and from there, you know, I've genuinely found, and you're learning, Cave, as you go. It's all about players, guys. It's all about players. It's all about adapting. If you look, for example, two great examples this year, Danny touched on the outside at Leeds. The three teams that went up last year West Brom, Fulham, and Leeds. Leeds have continued playing exactly how Leeds do. It doesn't matter whether they're playing at Anfield, Old Trafford, Chelsea, that's Bielsa. But you look at Fulham and West Brom, they've gone from last year where they take all in front of them this year now where they can go to 10 games without a win. The managers haven't changed. Yet the managers nowadays, you know, we hear stuff about, you know, Slaven village under pressure and you think, he's not how Slavon Bilic under pressure? So unfortunately mm. for Slav, the team now last year was very strong. He's in a league now where he's not so strong. But modern day football means we just sack managers. You know, so having styles of play, I think in football in general, lads, I think there's so many players on a pitch you can defend and there's so many attack. If you look at the modern-day game with Man City, for example, being the big one at Liverpool, they defend with three players. They defend with two centre-halves and a number four. And everybody else, I'll tell you, they're in your penalty box, mate, all over you. <laughs> well, as Daniel said, I've had teams where we've defended with 11 and deep as well. And that's what's <laughs> No, you know, yeah. it, 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 it it's, it's no different than, you know, when you're in the ascendancy, it's great to be the bully and, not the, sorry, that's the wrong word, totally. It's great to be the dominant force. When you're you know good teams put manners on you quite quickly and you can't be aggressive with your pressing and stuff like that. So it's very much adapting to what you've got, you know, but you've got to win, haven't you, I think, for all teams. And just to pick up on Danny's point there, by the way, for managers going in, I always find them six weeks that you have pre-season is when you build everything at your football club. It's the best time. You can nick away for a few days, take lads out and have a social beer. You can have your team meetings about discipline and what's expected. You don't want people late for training. You should not be late for training. You shouldn't be late for work. It's your workplace. And you get all that out. You go through your partner play, your strategies on the pitch, your, your, your nucleus of how you want to perform. So that when you go on a pitch on a Saturday, everyone knows their job to the letter. If you're taking over mid-season and you're getting a job on a, a Wednesday and they've just been beat Tuesday, you come in Thursdays off, you're just going out and playing football. So the actual managers who go into jobs, I probably as me and Danny are looking to do it at the minute, it's so difficult because you're inheriting so many headaches and problems, but you've got to adapt to it quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, what you were saying earlier about managers being sacked too early, I, I tweeted something in defence of Chris Wilder last weekend. And believe it or not, I even had a couple of Sheffield United fans telling me <laughs> that they thought his time at the club is up. And, you know, that is uh, absolutely ridiculous. I think we can all agree, given everything he's done for them. And I should say it is is—it is definitely a, a vocal minority rather than, than most Blades. Um, we've got about 15 minutes 50 left. You.
3: Yeah, because I just point there, and it's a, it's a, very, it's a really good point that you you brought them. You know, Chris Wilder has given Sheffield United the last three or four years of absolutely unbelievable football. And if you look at Norwich, for example, who sit top of the championship today, they kept faith with Daniel Farquhar because he took them to be promoted. Mm. If you look at Rotherham in the championship today when they were relegated two years ago, Paul Warren then brought them back up. The problem with these teams is not the manager's, it's the level of player within the football club. Unfortunately for supporters, they don't want to admit that. And if, if for example, Sheffield United fans are speaking about Chris the Wilder like that, it just shows how fat, sad football is today. That a Sheffield lad and a manager can do as much as he's done for Sheffield United. yet Their own fans wouldn't allow them to be relegated and for Chris to bring them back up again if Chris wanted to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean there are certainly fans I think who, who I mean the majority I'm sure who would want him to stay. And it's also I always think worth remembering as well that teams have to go down. Somebody has to finish in the bottom three. And, and I, for example, if you take Wickham or even Coventry this season, I would argue that Gareth Ainsworth and Mark Robbins could feasibly do a good job at their clubs and get relegated because you know if you look at the budgets and what they've got at their disposal, that is fair. Somebody has to get relegated. We've got to carry on though we can talk about this later on 15 minutes to go and we need to leave some time at the end as well for some questions so do write your questions beneath but it's time to look back at former successes and you know if we carry on doing these there might be a couple of awkward ones we're talking to out of work managers who haven't had much success but luckily with you two we've got plenty to talk about and Danny coming to you first we've had a couple of questions Um, Firstly, of all the highs we shared, this sadly isn't me saying we, but it's a Lincoln fan, during yours and Nicky's tenure at Central Bank, which moment takes the biscuit?
2: Oh, we had some good times. I would say, I think getting promoted from the National League to League Two. I just knew how important that was for the club and for the people at the club and also the supporters. So... Yeah, it's, we beat Macclesfield with um, maybe three games to go, but it was um, it was a good feeling. Yeah, and 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 obviously for Nicky and I, it uh, kind of felt like we'd completed non-league. It, it'd been our fourth promotion at, at non-league. And yeah, it was um, it was. We knew that to get to the football league, we'd have to earn it, and I I was really proud of that group and and proud for all the people because it was it literally wasn't about a manager or two managers and a and, and, and a group of players the supporters have been just just phenomenal that year and and had, and had earned so many points both at heart, both at Central bank and and away from home so it felt like a real collective effort so so to win the game at at home and to do it in front of our supporters and for everybody to 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 enjoy the celebrations will we'll, we'll live long long in my memory
1: Paul one for you about your time at Portsmouth? Uh, Pompey's promotion came after a dressing-room bust-up between Doyle and Burgess, fans booing players off the pitch, Cal Naismith becoming top scorer just months after training with the kids. I guess this is back to what you were saying earlier about managing players, and the question is, how did you manage those difficult situations and how did that culminate in you guys getting promoted?
3: First of all, on Cal Naismith, Um, Cal, Cal spent two months on loan at Hartlepool, and again, we're going back to allow managers to manage. Uh, Cal Naismith is a, he's a really good lad. He's a nice lad. He's a really good boy. He's played at me now. He's played for, with me for three football clubs. Um, but that was part of Cal's education. And it's not all about Cal Naismith. It's about the team. It's about everything else. So whenever Cal was out of my teams, it was purely that me and Cal were getting to that point where as Daniel tell you about whatever team, whatever promotion, when you trust someone, it's a fantastic way to be with a footballer. It doesn't mean they play well. It doesn't mean that the world's a great place. It just means you trust them, and it's a lovely place to be. And with Cal at that moment in time, our relationship wasn't like that. When I left Wigan at the end, or I resigned, mine and Cal's relationship was rock solid, and the trust was there. that have been through stuff. So with Cal, it was always a case of when he played for me, but we had to go through. As you could imagine, getting sent to Artley Pool was a little bit tough for him, I suppose, from Portsmouth. But it was just part of his development <laughs> and his mindset. He was always going to come back to play. Um, with Mike Doyle and uh, it was Christian Burgess, it was half-time mm-hmm. versus uh, Stephen and Jerome, I think it was. And uh, we were in the midst of a promotion push that at Portsmouth. was very high-pressurised because of the fans' demands to be promoted. You know the club wanted to get back to the championship minimum, and uh, as you can imagine, we had David Ford in goal, uh, uh, an ex-Millwall player, not a Republic of Ireland national. Michael Doyle, Christian Burgess. You know, in dressing rooms, you've got to allow characters and you've got to allow people to breathe. And uh, and there was just a couple of words exchanged, and a quick something went on within the dressing room that, as a manager, uh, I had to deal with, and I dealt with it by taking both players off. And we went out and we lost the game. We lost the game 1-0. It was a really tough day for us all at the club because Michael Doyle was my captain and he was an outstanding captain. Kristen Burgess was my centre-half and he was an outstanding centre-half. So the brutal reality was the team was the loser on the day, but the team became the winner with what went on after it. So that was a really good moment for Portsmouth Football Club because that moment brought the players tighter together that the pressure from what they were feeling come out at half-time. You can't let pressure take over your performances. Your mindset has to be to deliver on the pitch, and that was a great moment for us. To in terms of a real troublesome moment, become a real you know focal point for our going on to better things.
1: Danny, one for you quickly now, and on Hud- on Huddersfield. Uh, how do you reflect on your time at Huddersfield? Is there anything you could have done differently, and do you feel you were unfairly treated?
2: We enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a brilliant challenge. Um, I kind of always run towards expectation, that's always what I, I try to do. I always think the bigger the challenge, the more the more the learning and certainly, you know, that 10 months was, it was a brilliant learning experience for Nicky and I. Um, met some great people, um, we pleased with the job that we did. You know, we picked the club up, we only had one point after nine games, um, so to get safe after 45 games was was, was an achievement, we felt. Um, there's always things that you would do differently. There's no no doubt about that. Even in the, my most my most successful teams, you know, football is a it, it's, it's a roller coaster. You, it's an impulsive game. You're making very quick decisions. You don't get them all right for sure. So, so there's always there's always things that you would you would you, you know with hindsight you would you you maybe would do differently. But I was proud of the group from the position they were in and where they were at, um, particularly mentally when we come in to, to turn that around. You know, we we, we were proud of everybody that pulled together to, to achieve that. Um, did I think I was treated unfairly? This is football. If you're looking for fairness, you're probably looking probably looking in the wrong place. So I'll leave that for, for other people to to. To, to decide. But I think what we always tried to do, and Paul certainly had done this throughout his career, is when you take a job, you try to leave it in a better place and you found it. And, you know, I, I believe that we have done and, you know, Carlos Corberian has gone in now and, 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 and done a really good job thus far this season. And, and you know, for me, it's always to to get better, not, not to get bitter.
1: Last one then for Paul, and I think this shows the high esteem you're still held in at Wigan. This is from a Wigan fan. If uh, for Cookie, if Wigan hadn't gone into administration and that squad had stayed together with the odd with the odd addition, how many points clear at the top of the championship would you be? <laughs> Ten.
3: Ten. Norwich, Bolton, and then Merles. You know, in, again. It, it's quite funny because, you know, it's it's no different than, you know, we signed a lot of players in the summer. Yeah, Jamal Lowe, Kiefer Moore, Joe Williams, you know, Anthony Robinson. You know, we'd had a lot of change at the club and Cedric Kipre was sent out. And it was working with these players. It was repetition of work. It was not just myself. It was Anthony Barry, the first team coach, Liam Richardson, Nick Colgan. We had, the, we had the worst trips home, you can imagine, lads. We could get beat at five to five every saturday for a period of time we were given goals away six minutes into stoppage time but football's about making mistakes it's what you do about the mistakes you can't keep making them you know and them lads grew and grew to by the time we come to the the second half of the season you know we were genuinely not a good when i say we were a good team we were a good functioning team that everyone knew the jobs everyone done their bit and we worked really hard together. Kiefer Moore, as well, another lad from Barnsley, you know, was leading the line. And we were a really good team. They gelled well together. Unfortunately, no one will ever know what we could have achieved or not achieved. I think the experiences the lads were gaining going along, the confidence we were getting from some of the results and, you know, some of the wins, especially the second half of the season, where we won away at West Brom and played really well on the day. You know, but, you know, that that's in the past now. And I think. The future for Wigan Athletic is certainly the most important thing. You know, just having a club is so important. You've seen Danny and Nicky at Lincoln. Any club can go from where they think's a bad place to a really good place. If you'd have gone to Sinsel Bank, be pre-promotions, There's probably be about 2,000 people there, Two and a half thousand. You go there now, you don't get a ticket. And every club's got to believe that the future's going to be better. And I certainly hope for Wigan Athletic. That they can return to where they belong one day.
0: Okay, well, we've had some fantastic questions in the comments, and we've just got five or 10 minutes left. So I'm going to pick out a couple uh, for you guys to answer. Uh, some of them have kind of been answered already in the duration of the chat so far. So to Hunter Lionheart and to Michael Hart, especially, uh, your questions about stability at clubs and how that factors into a job choice and the importance of the tactical side of of management compared to how we, the fans, think uh, how important it is. Um, Those have more or less been answered uh, already. So I'm going to pick some uh, original questions. Um, And one for you, firstly, Paul, from Joseph, who says he's a Pompey fan and he's curious uh, what you spotted or what potential you saw in Adam Webster early on. And if you're surprised at how far he's come and how much he's developed as a player, Uh, we love any EFL graduates into the Premier League. We love to see them doing well. Uh, And Webster's had the most amazing few years, Paul.
3: Yeah, Adam, again, uh, the first thing when you speak about Adam Webster, you're talking about one of the best young men you'll ever meet in your life. Uh, Absolutely superstar of a boy who just wanted to learn and get better and train and run and be in the gym. Uh, When we first went into Portsmouth, he was very much like a baby giraffe, if you can understand what I mean. You know his body wasn't really aligned. I remember we played Wickham away, and Fenwood didn't give him the best afternoon this day. <laughs> and he was just a young 18-year-old kid, and like I told Adam, and the, you know, they, they, these are the best educations of your life. Now you're learning on the job, and he was always a he was always going to be a top player. And he was he had that you know Danny spoke about Ferrari. Adam was a Rolls Royce even in League Two. He could carry the ball out. He could pass forward he had an athleticism, he could defend, he was just, and he was just a pleasure to work with, he was an absolute pleasure of a lad and to see him progress now to a Premier League football, and I'm just so pleased for Adam and his family.
0: Now one for you, uh, Danny, Loyal Royal uh, has asked, these are the sorts of questions that you guys don't get asked by the local media because for some reason they're not interested, but people like us are really interested in stuff like this. I guess, this is the beauty of having you guys on for an hour as we, we get to sort of get to know you guys as as humans as well as as football managers and all the questions we can ask about tactics. The question is, can you describe the physical logistics of moving from one club to another in terms of living arrangements, uprooting a family, etc.? Particularly for Danny in terms of Braintree to Lincoln and from Paul to Pompey to Wigan. I know we've asked you a lot of questions you've probably found quite tedious about football tonight. This is quite more of a personal question. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think many of us have experienced moves in our life, and it can be quite a stressful time. Uh, quite aside from uh, a new job, so I'm interested to know how this actually works, Danny.
2: Yeah, well, obviously, my, my first move would have been from Braintree to Lincoln um, in terms of the logistics of moving moving locations.
0: But I was going to say C- Concord to Braintree. Not much of a not much of a, a leap. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, pretty close in terms of uh, in terms of locations. Concord to Braintree, but no, for, for us, you know, I left left teaching, which pretty much, unless you commit murder, you, you never lose your job. To, to go into full time football a <laughs> crazy decision, but but no, it's certainly a, a huge has uh, huge ramifications on your family. There's no doubt about that. We've we we've, we spent the first two years living between Essex and Lincoln, and and as a family, decided that probably we wanted to be together. Um, luckily my wife was a, she was an international athlete herself. So she's kind of lived, lived high level of sport. So, um, she, she understands it and, 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 understands the commitment required. So we, we decided to move. We're now living in Lincoln and Lincoln's a, a beautiful part of the world. If you've never been, um, but we're quite aware that, you know, even when we might need to move again, and that's, that's the commitment that you make it's, you know, for us, Football is, is everything, and if we're going to commit to something, then it's it's, it's always you know it's never never half asked. It's always one hundred percent. So so yeah, we 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 anticipate that we might have to move. The children understand that, and while we worry about them because you know you want them to have continuity and stability. Also, if you look at it on the flip side, you know for them to move and have to build new relationships is is good for their life skills and good for mm-hmm. their development. So, this is this is the modern world that we live in, and yeah, we're gonna we're, we're we're roll with the punches as as and when needed.
0: Paul, it'd be great to hear your experience of this, is uh, certainly in your managerial career from Chesterfield down to Pompey and then up to Wigan. Uh, how did that go for you?
3: Yeah, again, the Chesterfield one was okay. I was commuting enough. So I had a flat over there. The dodge uh, The whole family moved down to Portsmouth. It was quite funny or ironic there when you're thinking, because my son Connor, who's 15 now, I think, God, he must have been nine, 10, when we moved to Portsmouth, and he cried all the way on the journey from Liverpool to Portsmouth, all he'd done was cry. And the most ironic thing, when we left Portsmouth to come to Wigan, he cried all the way back home, because he was leaving his new friends down there. And as Danny says, for young, younger people and younger kids, you've got to make them believe that because, you know, one of the disappointing things for us now is managing your family and your support network around you. It is so important for us all. So, you know, balancing that is really, really important.
0: I'm not sure I could ever bear to move too far away from George, I have to say. He really is my, uh, he's my rock, you know. Um, he, he's, he, he's he's my Nicky Cowley, that's for sure. Um, guys, we've just hit an hour and normally when we say we'll be an hour, we're normally about an hour and 15 minutes. But it's Thursday night. And we're all having a tough time at the moment, so we're going to let you go on time. Um, I, I honestly, I cannot thank you enough, not just for for giving up your evening to talk football with a couple of nobodies and uh, a lot of people watching online as well, um, but also just for being so honest as well and for for buying into it because, uh, as you said, we, we didn't necessarily make it easy for you. So um, to Paul and to Danny, thank you so much, guys. We, we really hope to see you uh, back in management soon. We can't wait to see where that might be. Um, and uh, yeah, watch this space. Hopefully, we'll be able to chat to you again soon. Pleasure.
3: Thanks. All the best. Thanks. Guys, all the best. man. Good to see you, mate. Oh, we'll Hopefully have see you soon. soon. Bye bye.